Welcome to another episode of the Morale Booster with John Uguli. And today I have with me uh, the CEO of BHFL Group LLC. Her name is Renzi Richardson. She is an author, she is a HR personnel, and she will be telling us all she has learned over the years. So welcome on the program, Mrs. Richardson. Thank you. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be here. Likewise. Okay, so, um, Renzi, my listeners would like to learn from you. They would want to know who you are, what you do, and probably we would want you to give us advice on how to be persistent at whatever we do. So tell us who you are and what you do. Thank you, John. Um, my name is Renzi Richardson. I'm the president and CEO of BHFL Group. We're based here in Atlanta, Georgia, and we provide uh, HR consultant services, which include leadership development, staffing, and we also are able to help with some of the compliance matters that um, companies have in terms of being able to meet state and federal guidelines. In addition to that, we also provide consultant services to companies who want to do business with the government. And those consultant services include certifications, as well as helping them to understand the business development process. Um, in the federal space, there are contracts that are set aside specifically for women and veterans and minority-owned businesses. And because of that, you know, it would behoove minorities to understand how they can leverage their um their companies and to look at contract opportunities to you know with the government as well as state and federal right okay that's a beautiful profile you've got there so um regarding the aspect of government contracts how long have you been in that space and how easy or difficult is it to get in there okay John, I started um, in government contracting probably, I think it was back in, I started back in 2008. Uh, I was laid off. Um, one of my first clients, he gave me an opportunity to write a proposal. I had no idea what that meant. And from there, you know, I won several um, proposals that this that we submitted. Still didn't know the significance of that. And from there, I realized that um, because of my HR background and understanding structure and how to respond to biz or and, and, and write specifically to what the solicitation is asking for, you know, I kept, you know, going with understanding that, that whole industry. And you asked a question in terms of how hard it is. Um, it's not an easy market to say that you can just go in like you're buying a pair of shoes, you find the right place to find and you walk out. <laughs> yeah, I know that because everyone would be in that space if it's that easy. That's why I use how easy or how difficult it is. <laughs> it, it, it's methodical. And if you know anything about the government or the military, it's similar to the military. You know, military, they have processes, procedures, and standards in terms of how everybody is supposed to operate within that, that space. Likewise with federal contracting. But the good thing about it is that once you, um, once you build a reputation for great performance, right. um, 
contract and officers, they come back to you, just like in any market. It's all about, you know, people do business with people they like, know, and trust. Same way with contract and officers. If you're an unknown commodity, you're doing fantastic in the, in the um, commercial market. Well, you have to build up that same reputation. You have to do the same thing in working in the federal market. But once you do and you get that past performance, it's not unusual for a contracting officer to reach out to you and say, hey, take a look at this, this solicitation and let me know if you can do it. Right. That's what we call a sole source, okay? okay? So there's a lot of advantages to doing business with the government. But I always tell my clients to have a diverse portfolio. If you look at the private sector and see how quickly it moves and how fluid it is, just the opposite of that, the government is not as fluid. So you have to think about time. And so I always encourage my clients, don't put all of your eggs in one basket. Look at, you know, diversifying your portfolio to include the private sector as well as the federal sector. Oh, okay. That makes a whole lot of sense. So I want to take us back to you being laid off. I can imagine how devastating that would have uh, been for you as at that time. You know, a lot of people see being laid off as the end of the world, but your case wasn't like that, like the entrepreneur that you were. So can you please tell us how you were able to build on that challenge that you went through at that well, time? John, I would imagine, and that's a great question, I would imagine right now, you probably have some people who are watching this podcast or will watch this podcast, and there is something that's just nagging at them. They're forcing themselves to fit into that corporate market, that corporate environment, you know, but they have a hard time drinking that Kool-Aid. You know, you drink the Kool-Aid, you don't ask what's in it, you just drink it. And I know that you have some people who maybe watch, will watch this podcast, they know that it's, it sticks in their throat to say that I can be in this, this, this workplace any longer or sit in this cube and feel happy being in this cube, but they're afraid to step out. They're afraid to step out because it's the unknown. But in my experience, and this was probably the second time that I got laid off because as you move up to the food chain, if you're a company have investors, it's easier to take that salary and bring it to the bottom line to show a positive gain right. as opposed to, you know, if I am, you know, may, may not be that, that high on the, on the totem pole. So it's always the top level that they cut first. And because of that, you know, I said, okay, do I want to continue to do this because you're very stressed? It's very stressful. You're thinking about you know, when, how long will I have a job? How long can I feed myself, keep a roof over my head and stuff, but just walking on eggshells. And so the last time that I was laid off, the first time I was laid off, I started putting a plan in place to say, okay, if I had to transition, what can I do? So I started putting a plan in place. So when I was laid off the second time, it was easy for me to get up and going. But here again, you just have to be courageous and know that you can do this. You may not, for that period of time, you may not have all the comforts that you're used to, that that nine to five can right. you know, check every week, as they call it. Yeah. But yeah. You, you will have everything that you need. Not everything you want, but everything you need. And then, uh, you know, one of the things I tell entrepreneurs is to decide on what it is that you want to do. And focus on that because if you allow yourself, say, okay, I can do five things at one time, 
you will never build that traction and that momentum. Okay. And once people know you are know what you're for and what you're about and what your product or service is, and you're consistent with putting that message out there, people will come back to you. The most important thing to remember when you're an entrepreneur or a solopreneur, you are your brand and your brand is your company. People will buy from you because you're the person that they're buying from. Your company is not known yet. So it's so important for you to understand that. Right. Absolutely correct. I really do I really do envy your courage, you know, because at the end of the day, it is not the mistakes or the uh, challenges we experience in life that matters. It is how we're able to build on that and become better. I really like that. So yeah. uh, how did you get the motivation to start writing your book? I know you were writing a book. Can you please tell us a little about that book? I've read a few um, paragraphs of it. Okay. Well, I, you know, as a consultant, you know, I I work with a diverse group of clients. My clients are in every, they're of every hue that you can imagine. And so, but there are lessons that I've learned from them. And I know that when I grew up, um, this is in the 60s and stuff, civil rights played a huge, a huge way in terms of how black business owners were able to, to start a business, you know, during the civil rights, we stood on the shoulder, shoulders of people like Maynard Jackson, all of the major the civil rights leaders and stuff. And so they carved away. And so I look around now, and even though with millennials and looking at this generation of talent that we have of entrepreneurs and business owners, they're very smart and they're bright. But I also know too, is that the lessons that we learn from our past are the lessons that take us forward. But if we, as the, I guess you said, of our generation, if we don't share those lessons, how did this new generation of, of entrepreneurs know, say, you know, this is, I fell down, and this is how I got up, and this is how I triumphed, okay? Yeah. Where are those lessons? We knew that back in the 60s, but what I find, just like in the black community, there are certain things that are hush-hush. Just like in, you know, among business owners, when you know that someone was making a, you know, had a contract for $15 million and two years later you see this person is, is just bummed out, what's the backstory? Right. There's a backstory. There were fatal mistakes that that person made. So I'm saying, I want to teach uh, this audience or who my readers are, these are the fatal, fatal mistakes that you want to stay away from. But this is also how you turn your company around or how you turn yourself around as the CEO. Because what I know, and this is something I know for sure, if a company is failing, they're failing because the CEO is failing. When the CEO gets them get themselves right, then the company will thrive. But yes. if you don't, your your company is a direct image of who you are. Right. Happy employees, they say. <laughs> yes. 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 Happy employees don't leave. <clears throat> don't leave the company. They leave you. Yeah, they you leave. Know? Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I wanted to put a story around that, but instead of just writing a business book, this is a page turner. Okay, there are three characters in the book. There's Big Joe, who's the CEO, who felt that he was so entitled about how he wanted to squander his, his, his resources, his company, 
And then there's the rainmaker. The rainmaker was the, was his his golden goose. The rainmaker was someone who was humble, but he could walk into a bank and, and come back out with a seven-figure line of credit. And then there was nephew Leach. I think all of us know that we have a, a nephew Leach in our company who's a relative. They want <laughs> they want you to give, but they're not willing to give back. Okay. And so because of this, 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 these three characters, they create, they create a, a relationship uh, between the three of them that really, that, that where Joe was the, the, the protagonist yeah. and he was the one that caused the company to fall out. But then, you know, at some point, the rainmaker said, hey, you know, can I do this for myself? And so it's a, it's a page turner. It's very dramatic. It's, it's based around storytelling because I think people remember lessons or remember what they, they, that you tell them if it's interesting. Exactly. And activities, there are very, a lot of thought-provoking activities that you, you have an opportunity to do. So hopefully it causes, causes you to be introspective and think about yourself as the CEO. Right, right. That's awesome. So is this the first book you're writing? Mm -hmm. Well, this is the first um, business book that I'm writing. Um, I started out writing a series of children's books. It's called Shoebox Kids Club because I just think reading is so important. And so right now, you know, I have that series coming out also, but that'll come out in, in May. I think children, I think school is over. I think it's either April or May that kids are out of school for the summer. And so those books will be released at the beginning of summer to create like a, a summer reading program. Oh, okay. Honestly, I am not too good with the curriculum of schools. I just know when it's time to go to school, my wife tells me, <laughs> the kids tell me, I'll say, okay, no problem. What do you need to start school? The okay. same thing, when, when they're done with school, they say, oh, dad, tomorrow's the last day, next year's the last, you know, that's it. Okay, yeah. got you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wow. Well, that's awesome. You know, I really know people listening to this program right now would have found, you know, encouragement to understand that if you do not love the job you are doing, remember that there is a possibility that you will get laid off. So if you have a passion other than the job you're doing, then my advice still remains. Use your nine to five to finance your five to nine. There you go. <laughs> yeah, because as an entrepreneur, you work 24 hours. Yes. But if you are sharing your entrepreneurship time with your employment, so use the eight hours of your employment to raise money to fund the remaining hours you need for your business. So take you note, know, anyone can be later. <laughs> I know, and that's the cash flow. That's your cash flow to, to get you up and going. Exactly. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You have to feed the goose. Yes, you do. And, and, and here again, you know, sometimes people feel guilty when they get to that point to say, you know, I, I can no longer be a, a corporate employee because some of us are very dutiful. We've been taught to be loyal. Right. But likewise, you know, every year, most companies do a performance review. Right. And you struggle through getting through that performance review because it's just like you could be an athlete. You know 
when you're at the top of your game, but you also know when your game is declining. And so when your game is declining, do you let it continue to decline or is it time to pivot and, and, and still use your talents, but use your talents to do more, not let to, to do more. Right. And um, with uh, technology involved right now in everything, nothing is sure anymore for employees. Yeah, because you could be good at a certain task today. And you probably you've been with that company for, you know, for years, for decades. But there could be a new employee who just gets in there and understands all the technology. That person could replace you in a second. In a heartbeat. And with my background in HR, and, you know, I was the one who had the... the decide to create a criteria to decide who was going to be laid off, right. which we were going to keep. I was also the one to create the severance packages if, in some cases, if they even got a severance package. Right. And I can tell you for sure, the biggest criteria is based on talent. And sometimes as we get older, we allow ourselves to become obsolete. And meaning that we don't keep up with the, you know, technology, what are the latest technology or things that's happening in your profession. Right. So because of that, you become obsolete, just like the major players. You know, Michael Jordan, one day he had to retire because there was a LeBron who came along. Right. <laughs> and, and, and that is life. It's life. It's life. The only, the only constant thing in life is change. That's the only constant <laughs> thing in life is change. change. Is a, exactly. Right. So that's a huge part of the book, it talks about change, regardless of whether your business is in the toilet or whether your business is on a, a positive tra trajectory. You still have to understand, you know, given your market and given your competitors, you know, what do you need to do to position yourself to be agile? Mm -hmm. We have to be agile and we have to be able to pivot when we need to. Right. Well, that's a good one. So uh, when do you have a timeline for publishing this book? Yes, um, we will, uh, the book will be published and we, we have a couple of book signings that, that we'll, we'll um, communicate or send out probably the end of January. We'll have those dates um, that we announce when we have book signings. And following the book signings, you know, you can purchase the book. We have it in Kindle hard copy and we'll also have a PDF copy as well, ebook. And right. and following that, we will also advertise uh, workshops. The right. workshops are for each CEOs up and coming, CEOs who've been in business, you know, two years or more, or CEOs who say, you know what, things are going well, but I want to be preemptive to make sure that, you know, everything that we're operating on all four cylinders. So, but it's specifically designed for CEOs. Right, okay, not bad. I hope by the time you publish the book, you would come on my program again to share it with my audience. Oh, I would love to, I would love to do that. Awesome, you're welcome anytime. So um, regarding your HR side of business, what precisely do you do? Do you do uh, regular recruiting and staffing? Do you have a particular sector that you cater for? Yeah. The markets, yes. Uh, the markets we serve, we serve the federal market, commercial, 
and we also um, serve the emerging cannabis market. Um, that is a huge, that is a huge business. And so in the cannabis uh, market, there's a lot of compliance needs in terms of if you're a plant touching business, you know, what are those requirements that you need to be concerned about? Not only, and the other part about this, John, is because the federal government is not part of the market right now to standard to standardize the market across any state. Right. So statewide, it's just kind of hodgepodge. Everybody's kind of doing their own thing. But even with that, there's still federal laws that you have to comply with if you have a cannabis business. Right. So we help those cannabis companies to understand what those laws are, but we also let them know what they they have to comply with at the state level and sometimes at the county level. And so we write the handbooks, we keep up with those, but also help them to put policies and procedures in place, understanding what you can add to your website and the content that you can add to your website when you are trying to prom promote your company, but also to attract employees. And we also serve the federal industry and the commercial market. So industry-wise, it's federal, it's um, the commercial, the private sector in cannabis. Okay, that's good. So um, now talking about cannabis, that's a you know that's a very hot topic these days. Yes. Right. Very so, right. Do you do you provide any form of um, advice or consulting to those people who are interested in getting into the cannabis industry, the cannabis business? Yes, we do. Um, we have. If you're interested in understanding the cannabis industry, the most important thing that you need to know is education. So we provide a lot of the training to help people to understand the industry, but even just what is hemp, what is cannabis, you know, um, what are cannabinoids, cannabis. So what are those um, terminology that you need to understand? And also, what are the opportunities in terms of being a, an entrepreneur? A lot of people say, well, I can only grow it or sell it. That's not true. There's a lot of ancillary services that are needed and more ancillary services than there are licenses that will be issued. An example of that is take, for instance, you are an accountant. Um, if you're looking for an investor, two things that they'll look at, they're going to look at compliance and they're also going to look at your your, your financial structure or your accounting structure because if I'm an investor, I'm going to take, I'm concerned about risk and I also, I'm concerned about how you manage your money. Right. So here again, compliance and accounting is important. If you're a grower, one of the things that are important to growers is, is security. So there's security, there's transportation, even construction. As an example, if you have a warehouse, once the product is harvested and then it now it's, it's grown, it's harvested, and now it has to be processed. Your warehouse has to have a certain type of lighting. So if you sell lighting, that's an opportunity for you. Temperature, the temperature has to be set at a, at a certain level. So here again, if you HVAC, there's an opportunity for you to service these warehouses to make sure the temperature is correct. And also, like I said, there's transportation from the warehouse and once the product is packaged, it has to be delivered. So there's a huge transportation um, need from being harvested, making sure that the product is transported in a refrigerated truck, what we call reefers, 
uh, at the right temperature because here again, because it's a, a, a product and it's a raw product, if the temperature isn't right, now you have to be concerned about whether, you know, it's the, the product is um, like, um, you know, like mildew and stuff like that was set in. So now it's no longer usable. So all of, so everything you can imagine hemp, which is they have hemp byproduct. We you use byproduct of hemp to make clothes, to make paint, hemp oil. It's I mean it's just a lot that goes into the even plumbing because right. there are irrigation systems that they use to grow the plant. So and there's a certain type of irrigation systems that they use to grow the cannabis. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's, that, that shows you have so much experience. You have in-depth experience of it. So for my listeners, if you need any advice regarding the cannabis industry in terms of guidelines and procedures to get started, feel free to reach out to Renzi. Her contact details will be currently showing at the bottom of the screen. Uh, she is an expert in that area. So Renzi, I really do appreciate you for joining us on the program. And uh, I look forward to having you again by the time you have published your book. John, thank you. This has been fun. You've made this so much fun and I appreciate being a part of your, your podcast. Thank you very much. This is, this is the only way I know I can spread the word. This is the way I know I can console people, you know, have people understand that they are not the only ones going through whatever they're going through. Yes. So when they hear from people like yourself and mm -hmm. so many others, it gives mm -hmm. encouragement. I don't know how to sing. I'm not a rapper. So this is my own <laughs> medium. <laughs> okay. Helping. Right. I'm doing Wait, my own you, part. You're great. You're great at it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank this you is your much. strength. This is your purpose. Well, I, I, I think so. And I know so <laughs> at the same time. So I hope to take it to the next level. It can only get better. I just started. Well, it will definitely get better. So I'm also part of um, the case study for those people who are listening. I started this just without having any prior experience. And I know I will take it places. I will take it to higher heights. All right, with your help and the help of my listeners, my viewers, it will definitely get better. Well, John, anything that I can do to help you and share my experience as an entrepreneur and just getting started, the first thing you did that's so important, just do it. Like right. the Nike line, just do it. You know, you fill in the blanks as you go. It may not be perfect, but it's not about being perfect. It's right. about getting started. That is it. That is it. I like that. So thank you once again, Renzi, and I look forward to having you on another episode by the time you publish up. Thanks, John. This has been fun. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks.